Welcome. So you pray and you read the Bible and everyone thinks that you are a good Christian. But do you have really a relationship with God in your heart? Do you truly know God and live for God? That's the subject of our psalm for today, Psalm 5050. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England. And these are our talks on how to understand the King James Bible using the Psalms. Today we're looking at Psalm 50, verse by verse, by verse and word by word. And it's a psalm with probably the most impressive introduction of any of the Psalms. At the top there's a title, a Psalm of Asaph, to tell us that Asaph, one of the chief musicians in the temple, was the writer of this psalm. And then it begins with three very powerful words in the Hebrew language. In the King James Bible, they're translated as the mighty God, even the Lord. In Hebrew, the mighty is the word El. That by itself means God. Then there's the word God, which is its plural form of that, a sort of emphasis of it, Elohim. So it said already we've got two names for God, which are translated simply as mighty God in our translation. And then after El, Elohim, we've got yod Hey vav Hey. That That's a sacred name of God, the name which the Jewish people do not even pronounce. And you've got these three words appearing together in sequence at the beginning of the Hebrew of this verse. So we get this incredibly impressive impression at the beginning that this is God, God, even the Lord, who hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. God hasn't remained silent. He's spoken. And how awesome that is, that our creator God, to whom all the world is responsible, has declared a message. And that message summons the whole earth. He calls the whole earth to be the witness of the things that he is going to say in court about his people and even against his people. God calls the earth from the rising of the sun, the east side, unto the going down thereof, the west side. The whole earth from east to west is called to attention. And now God comes forth. Verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Zion, the place of the temple, the place which God has appointed to be the one place where sacrifices should occur to him on earth, the place where God is present in his most holy place among his people. It's out of Zion, this place of perfect beauty. The house of God is a place of perfect beauty. The temple, the place where God has his home. And from there, 
God hath shined. His light shines out across the world because God, in his great glory and in his wonder, is there. Verse 3. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. Okay, so God is coming, and the suggestion in the Bible when God is coming is that God is coming for an important reason. He's coming to act, or he's coming to save his people, or he's coming to judge people. So when God comes, that's important. And the fact that God shall not keep silence means that God is going to do something. He's going to do something or say something that is powerful and impressive. And we see that power pictured as a fire and as a storm. A fire that devours is a fire that the word devour means eat up, eat up. So it's like a flame that's burning everything in its way. And this tempestuous, that means a storm. If it's very tempestuous around God, then there is a great storm blowing around God. And so we get this feel that... This is an important event, a great event. The whole world has been summoned to attention. God has come, a fire before him and a storm around him. And he now calls to the heavens and to the earth. He wants witnesses for what he's going to say because his words are so serious and so solemn and so important. Verse 4, he, God, shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. So God is going to act as judge, as an ancient judge, and the heavens and the earth must act as the witnesses of what God is going to say against his people. So God is setting up his court here. He's got the witnesses. He is going to himself act as the judge he has to gather the people who he is going to accuse. And who are they? Verse 5. Gather my saints together to me. My saints, those who belong to me, those who are holy to me, those who are my people. Gather them. Bring them to my court. They need to hear what God is saying to them. Who are my saints? They're those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Oh, they in obedience to God's law are presenting animals as sacrifices to God. And that makes their covenant, their relationship with God, especially important. God thinks about them very much. God cares about them. They have, are presenting those sacrifices. They have that relationship with God. But are they truly living in the way that God wants? Are they offering those sacrifices to God for right reasons or for wrong reasons? Well, God is going to speak and he's going to speak and he's going to declare words that are perfectly right. Verse 6, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness for God is judge himself. The heavens shall declare his righteousness. The heaven above us declares that God is right in all he says and in all he does. And he's going to show that he's right. 
because he is going to act as judge of his people. And with that thought, uh, the author of this psalm, Asaph, pauses. He adds the word selah, which we find is a good point at which to pause for a moment and think about the words that we've just heard, and then God will speak. Verse 7. God is speaking. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. So it was the work of an ancient judge not just to decide on a case, but to, to, to act, to act as uh, the police would today, to give the evidence that was necessary in order to convict the criminal. And God is now going to speak to Israel, to the people he's called from the nations of the world to be his own people. He's going to speak against them because he is God, because they have a relationship with him as their God. He is going to declare the truth about their relationship with him. Verse 8. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. Sacrifices, the animals that they offered to God, these were offered by fire. There were different types of offering. There were thank offerings to give thanks to God. There were burnt offerings, also called whole offerings, when the whole animal was offered to God. Israel's people were obeying God's law. They were therefore continually offering these sacrifices, these burnt offerings. But was it just actions? One can offer an offering to say thank you to God and yet not really be thanking God in your heart. You can offer a whole animal as a whole burnt offering to God and yet never offer your own life, the whole of your life, to God. That's the purpose of these sacrifices, to teach you how to praise God, to teach you how to worship God. But if you're just carrying out the sacrifices and not really with your whole heart worshipping God, then there's something wrong with your sacrifices. So God says firstly, What's wrong with you, my people, is not that you're not obeying me by doing these sacrifices. You're doing them. No, what's wrong is in your heart. What I, The change that I want to see is in your heart, your true attitude towards me. God declares, I will take no bullock, no young bull out of thy house, nor he goats, male goats, out of thy folds, that's the enclosure in which a goat was kept. God is saying, I don't need these animals. It's not as if I've told you to offer these animals because I need animals. It's not that I need the food or, or I need the gifts. No. What you've got to realise, verse 10, is that every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I have wealth. I have animals in my possession, says God, which are more than you can even imagine. Every animal 
is mine. I'm the creator of heaven and earth. Verse 11, I know all the fowls of the mountains, the fowls of the birds. So it's not just the cattle, it's not just the goats and the beasts. No, the birds, the birds that fly free in the mountains, I know them all. I know every one of them. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without my knowledge. And it's not just the animals you keep that that I possess. Why, you see those wild beasts, the wild animals. You see the lions and the bears and the wolves uh, and the wild dogs and the deer. The wild beasts of the field are mine. Here field doesn't mean a farmer's field. It means the open land, the land that isn't enclosed. The land over which you have no control. Or you might keep your goats in their folds, in their enclosures, verse 9. But I keep my wild beasts in the field where there is no walls and no enclosures and no fences. And where they roam freely, but they still belong to me. You keep your bullocks, your young bulls in, in your houses. But... I have my birds and they go across the mountains and they are all mine. And God says, if I were hungry, of course, God is not hungry. But if I were hungry, I would not tell thee. I don't need you to give me those animals so that I've got food. No, because the world is mine and the fullness thereof. The fullness means everything that fills it. The whole world belongs to me, says God. And everything that you see in it, that also belongs to me. I'm not eating the animals. I'm not drinking the blood of goats. He says in verse, verse 13, let's read it. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And that would have horrified Israel's people that they thought. Yes, when they killed a goat as a sacrifice, they they drained the blood from it and they poured it out before God. But the idea of drinking blood, Israel's people were told by God's law not to drink blood. And the idea that God, the holy God, should drink blood, that's a strange thought to them. But that's how people who worshipped false gods thought. They thought they were, by their sacrifices, they were feeding those false gods. They thought their their false gods ate the flesh of blood, the flesh of bulls, the meat from the bulls. Or, Or they thought that their gods drank the blood of their goats. And God says, no, I don't do this. Uh, I'm not dependent on food from this earth because I created this earth and everything in it and all of it belongs to me. So God says to them, don't think of me as if I'm a false God. Uh, Don't think of me like you're performing some false religion where you've got to feed your God, where you've got to give things to your God, where you've got to do things to get your God pleased. These are not the sort of sacrifices that please me. Yes, the true God has told his people to offer sacrifices at the time of the Old Testament. 
but not without meaning, not without that heart knowledge of God, not without loving God with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. No, that's true religion. When they really do love God with all that is in them, when they, verse 14, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High, when they offer their true prayers of thanks and praise to God, when they are truly grateful to God, that's what pleases God. When they carry out their vows, they pay their vows, they do the things that they've promised to God, and they're obedient to what they have promised, because they're taking God seriously, they are respecting him, they are realising that he is the real God. And then there's a wonderful promise for them in verse 15. Because God has spoken to them as a witness in his court. God has spoken to them these severe words, but not so that they may be frightened or afraid of him, but so that they may know him and love him and know his benefit. Because God doesn't just want them to offer gifts. God also wants them to, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. God wants them to pray to him. God wants them to ask him for their needs. God wants to meet those needs. In fact, he promises to call on, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. I will deliver you. I will rescue you from your troubles. I will be with you in that situation. You'll see what I, the wonderful things that I have done for you, and thou shalt glorify me. You'll give honour to me for what I have done for you. So if we were afraid at the thought of God coming, and God coming in such power, no, if we're God's faithful people, then we needn't be afraid of that. We need only to make sure that our lives and our heart attitudes are are right before God, that we're doing the things that we promised and that we're truly thankful and grateful to him and that we remember when we have troubles to pray to him, to ask him for help and to look to him to work in our lives. God deserves our judge to save us from our troubles that we may give honour to him. But there's another part of this psalm too, because not everyone who is presenting these offerings, these sacrifices, is truly trying to serve God. There are people there amongst God's people who are offering sacrifices, who are speaking religious words, but in their hearts, they're far from God. And God in verse 16 begins to speak to them and against them, he has some very severe words. But unto the wicked, God saith, What hast thou to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant into thy mouth? You are wicked people, God says. You are deliberately doing evil things. Yet you're speaking religious things. You're trying to make, make me think. You're trying to make God think. That, I'm, that you are loyal to me. What were these wicked people doing? 
Well, they were declaring God's statutes, God's law. They were, they were speaking about God's law as if they were obeying it. They were speaking about God's covenant, God's sacred promises to Israel, God's relationship with his people. They dared speak about God's relationship with his people and God's instructions for people's lives when they were not following those instructions at all. Verse 17, seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. Okay, so they hated the instructions that God had given them for their lives. And when they heard God's words, it was as if they took them and threw them away. To cast means to throw. If they cast God's words behind them, they are throwing God's words away like rubbish. More of these accusations follow in, in verse 18. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentedest with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Okay, let's take apart the language there. <clears throat> they saw the thief. And what did they do when they saw the thief? Did they, not, did they think that thief was doing something very evil? No, they consented with him. In other words, they approved of that thief's evil acts. That thief was robbing, he was stealing, he was breaking God's law, and they approved. Okay, they saw adulterers. Adultery is when someone has sex with someone who is not their husband or wife, with someone else's husband or wife. What were these wicked people doing? They were partakers with adulterers. To be a partaker means they were sharing with adulterers. What does that mean? Does that mean they were approving of the act of adultery? Does that mean that they were carrying out the act of adultery? Well, the Bible doesn't actually tell us, but it's something like that. They're showing approval for this wrong act. And these people who dared in verse 16 to declare God's statutes and who declared to speak about God's covenant, well, they also, in verse 19, spoke evil words. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Deceit means lies, but especially the sort of lies that deceive other people, to take advantage of other people. To frame deceit means to make up deceit. And uh, if your tongue frames deceit, then you're speaking these deceitful lies. So they're saying evil things to take advantage of people, to make profit from people, to make themselves wealthy so that poor people will suffer. In fact, it's not even people who are distant from them who they speak these evil words against because, verse 20, thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son, your brother, the person who you should consider yourself especially responsible for to look after, you speak against him. You slander, you speak lies, 
against thine own mother's son. Maybe your father had had several wives. Uh, well, this this is your this brother. He is your mother's son. He has the closest possible physical relationship to you, and yet you still speak evil words against him. God continues to speak to these evil people in verse 21. He says, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. In other words, God seemed to do nothing. They, they saw that God seemed to do nothing, so they thought they could live in that way. They thought God would never punish them. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. You even started to think, didn't you, that God was evil like you. You, you approved of the work of thieves and you became a thief yourself. And you then thought that God must be a thief like you think he did nothing against your evil acts. But God declares, I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. I will act as your judge. I will show you that you are wrong and I will deal with you and you will see it. It will happen before thine eyes, before your eyes. So on to our conclusion, verse 22. We've seen God's words to the people who were trying to serve him, but were just really following rituals and didn't have have heart religion. They didn't in their hearts truly serve God. And God said to them, turn to me. In your hearts, truly choose to obey me and call on me and ask me for my help. I want to help you. That's verses uh, 7 to 15. And he's spoken to the evil people, the wicked people, in verses 16 to 21. And he said to them, you have no right to be speaking, pretending to be my faithful people. You are evil and I'm going to act against your evil deeds unless you turn back to me. So verse 22, the conclusion. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Deliver there means rescue. There'll be no one to rescue you. If I, and the word picture is of a fierce wild animal, if I tear you to pieces, you've forgotten me. And that's why you've turned against me. That's why you're doing wicked things. But think about it. Think about it because soon that day of judgment is coming. You must remember me. You must turn to me, says God. You, you must serve me properly. Verse 23, whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. That word for praise in the Hebrew language is the word for thanks, thanksgiving. God is saying, if in your heart you are truly thankful to me, that glorifies me. In other words, that gives me honour. What I'm wanting is for you to turn and to be truly thankful to me in your heart. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright, will I shew the salvation of God. Okay, conversation is the Old English word. Today it means speech, but in the Old English it meant the way that you lived your life. 
To order your conversation right means to arrange your life in the right way. So God is saying that to the person who arranges his life in the right way, he will show himself to be that person's saviour. Per- God will rescue that person from the wrong things that are in their life and give them a right relationship with God. How does that person arrange his way of life in the right way? Well, he must turn from sin. He must turn to God. He must seek God with all his heart. He mustn't be satisfied just to be carrying out rituals and routines and customs and traditions. No, he must humble himself before God. He must desire to God for God to work in his life and then God will show him his salvation. God will save him. God will rescue him. God will give that person a right relationship with himself. Please write to me. My email address is 333kjv at gmail.com. That is 333kjv at gmail.com. Now, let me read you the whole of Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats. Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. But unto the wicked God saith, 
What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth, seeing thou hatest instruction, and casteth my words behind thee? When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentedest with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I shew the salvation of God.